Esther podcast is designed for Christian women who God has called to a career. Our goal is to identify the modern Esther in all women and to leave you feeling empowered with the mission to glorify God in your vocation. and welcome back to the Modern Esther Podcast. This is Danielle, and I am super excited that you guys are here. Thank you so much for continuing to listen um, and write all of your emails. I, I know I say that a lot, but I just love hearing from everybody, and I really am super blessed that um, we were able to have Katie and Amy and Amanda on last week. If you didn't get a chance to listen to that, Iron Sharpens Iron, please go back and do. I know it's a little bit longer than our usual podcast, but it truly does talk about the benefits of having godly women in your life to guide you and lead you closer to Christ. Um, And I hope that um, you guys are ready to start this next season. Um, I love this woman. I love her because she is not perfect. And I love her because she was chosen at a young age. And so her name is Miriam. And I wasn't actually, I was going to do another a girl before, another woman before her. And I started praying and I was like, well, God, I don't want to do a woman that you don't want me to do. So who do you want me to do? And I just kind of started looking and I was like, oh, I don't know a lot about Miriam. I know that she is the sister of Moses and Aaron and that she basically was crucial part in saving Moses um, when he was younger. Um, but I, I mean, that was pretty much it. Um, she kind of watched her mom put Moses into the river and watch that basket go down. And then when Pharaoh's daughter um, caught Moses in the basket and wanted to be the adopted mother of Moses, she obviously didn't have any kids of her own, so she couldn't breastfeed. So Miriam popped out of the bush and said, I know a woman that can do that for you. And she was a protective big sister and you kind of love her immediately. But then Uh, you kind of see this transition happen with her. And she has many different phases of her life that have translated into many different stages of her faith. So I'm excited to really dig into that. And I hope that you guys can take that journey with me. But as I was preparing for her, um, I kind of got humbled about these two women that I have never heard of in my life. And their names are Shifra and Pua. And they are midwives. Um, that were so crucial in this time period. And so to kind of understand where we're at, um, we, we are in the book of Exodus. Um, we are going to start today in Exodus 1, and then we're kind of going to follow the whole story of Miriam throughout Exodus. And Exodus right now, um, where we're looking at, is probably around 1440 B.C., This is going to be after the Israelites have already moved to Egypt because they had to leave their land so they could go get food. And remember, if you know the story of Joseph, you know that Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers, but God prepared a way for the Israelites to be saved through that. So what the brothers intended to harm them, God intended for good. And we've mentioned this story several times um, on this podcast, but because Joseph was obedient and rose to Pharaoh's second hand, he was not only able to save all of the Egyptians, but he was also able to save all of the Israelites. And so the Israelites and the Egyptians lived at peace for many years under 
um, many pharaohs reigned, but when Joseph was alive. And so now they have lived there for 350 years from the time of Joseph to the birth of Moses. And what we see is that there is this gap between when Joseph has died and Moses is born. And that gap is about 64 years. So when we pick up in Exodus 1, um, we see in verse 6 that in time, Joseph and all his brothers died, ending the entire generation. But their descendants, the Israelites, had many children and grandchildren. In fact, they had multiplied so greatly that they became extremely powerful and filled the land. Verse 8, eventually a new king came to power in Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph and what he had done. So we see that the Egyptians were kind of following Christ because that's what Pharaoh had demanded in the time of Joseph, that we will worship your God. And now they have gone back to not remembering what Joseph did for them and truly not remembering what Joseph's God, our Lord, did for him, did for all of them. And so we're not exactly sure this king that has come into power. Um, Some believe that it was Thutmose II because he had a very short reign. It was very prosperous but very short, and he didn't have any sons to succeed him, so that would explain maybe possibly why he loved his daughter so much. Um... But we're, again, that's just an educated guess based on historical time references. We are really not sure, but we are sure that he didn't like the fact that the Israelites were multiplying at a higher rate than the Egyptians, and they were kind of drowning them out. So picking up in verse 9, he said to his people, look, the people of Israel now outnumber us and are stronger than we are. We must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. If we don't and war breaks out, they will join our enemies and fight against us. Then they will escape from the country. So the Egyptians made the Israelites their slave. They appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. They forced them to build the cities and supply centers for the king. And so you can see that he is just being unmerciful. And it actually says that in verse 13. So the Egyptians worked the people of Israel without mercy. So we have gone through a time of prosperous and peace to now a time where the Israelites are in this land that they were sent to to be saved, um, and now they are slaves. So verse 15 says, Then Pharaoh, king of Egypt, gave this order to the Hebrew midwives, Shifra and Pua. When you help the Hebrew women as they give birth, watch as they deliver. If the baby boy... If the baby is a boy, kill him. If it is a girl, let her live. But because the midwives feared God, they refused to obey the king's orders. They allowed the boys to live too. So then the king of Egypt called the midwives and said, Why have you done this? Why have you not why have you allowed the boys to live? And then they replied, The Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women. They are more vigorous and their babies come so quickly that we can't get there in time. So I think this is really funny. I love this because I was like, Well, why would they say that? Like, wouldn't the man know that they were, the the king know that they were there before? But as we're going to learn about midwives, um, no men were uh, around during the birth. It's not like today where the husband can come back. And there will be male nurses, male doctors there. No, um, even the practitioners of the day did not help with childbirth. This was strictly a woman's job. It was a midwife job. They needed to be trained. They were very skilled. And we're going to talk about all the things that they needed to do as this is actually a profession in that time. So 
we see that they basically lie to the Egyptian king only in order to be more faithful and obedient to God. And they say, um, and then it says, the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, right? So in verse 20, it says, so God was good to the midwives and the Israelites continued to multiply, growing more and more powerful. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. And we'll talk about that blessing um, later on. But then that was when Pharaoh had to give another order and said, throw every newborn Hebrew boy into the Nile River, but let the girls live. So he is basically trying to build up the women, get rid of the men so that their race would eventually die out. Um, So before we start digging into the importance of Shifra and Pua, I wanted to talk about what a midwife looked like. Um, They were there. um, Well, a midwife actually means with the woman or the woman that stood by uh, with the mother. So they they were known to be very skilled. Um, I am sure there was some kind of apprenticeship or it might have been a familial um, occupation, but these women were, were hired. They were workers, so they technically worked outside of the home, but they were most of the time women that the other women knew, trusted relatives, but they definitely needed to know what they were doing and they had to prepare for the birth. So they would use oil for injections and lubrication for the baby to come out. They would have warm water there, warm fermentations for alleviations, of pain. They would have all of the sponges that they needed to clean and the cloth for the baby after. And they would have certain stools um, in, at some time periods that would be called birthing school, stools. And they would help the woman as the woman gave birth on the stool. Um, they would also have a pillow for the baby after. Um, they would use salt and wine as antiseptic qualities. And they would use oil to clean as well as water the baby after the baby was born. They were basically there to check to make sure not only was the woman okay during the labor, but was the baby okay um, uh, postpartum. And so there's no descriptions of what the childbirth looked like in the Bible. Uh, This is mostly probably because the people who wrote the Bible were men. Um, so they would have no idea about the details, but going on historical, um, accuracies as far as, um, other, you know, just of the times, we know that this is the kind of ritual that the, the midwives would participate in. Another part of their job was to provide spiritual comfort. There would constantly be prayers, to protect the woman for her baby, for harmful forces away. So um, you might see one, you might see two, maybe one helping the mother, maybe one praying. Um, And we actually do know um, from a Jewish book called the the Talmud that Shifra was, her duty was the one that dressed the infant and Pua was the one who breathed or whispered into it. And so they believed that the whispered was the blowing in the child's mouth, checking the baby if the baby wasn't breathing. And um, and this definitely would have to have, have taken considerable skill for both of them to learn. And so we see that they each had their role. 
They were very important to all of the Hebrew women of time. And we, all, and we also know by their names that they were also Hebrew as well. Um, so these are not Egyptian women that followed the same faith as the Hebrews. No, they, they were Hebrew women hired by Hebrew women to give to help them in their birth. They were extremely spiritual. And knowing what I know about childbirth from my friends, it is an extremely spiritual experience. It is, of course, painful. So to have women there beside you, praying over you, um, provided, I'm sure, much comfort for a lot of these Jewish women. Um, And so when we kind of get to their story and we see that they basically disobey Pharaoh, and they obey God, um, I love that God named them. And honestly, I was, I was going to skip uh, Exodus 1 and go straight to Exodus 2 when we first are introduced to Miriam. And God told me, go back and read uh, the first chapter. And I read their names, and I had never heard of them before. And I think that it's, so, it's kind of sad um, that I've read this story so many times and never paid attention, but it mentions midwife and midwifery throughout scripture. But these are the only two women ever named as midwives. And I think that that is extremely special. Um, I think that, that when God mentions a name, he does it to give them honor and to give them glory as faithful believers or as an example of how to not act and these were definitely examples of how to act. Um, they, I believe they acted more on their empathy. They acted on faith. Um, they obviously were smart to understand how to resuscitate a baby, how to help a mother, how to stop bleeding. And so they knew that if they were to lie to Pharaoh and get caught, they would inevitably be sentenced to death. Um, but they didn't care. They only were going to be obedient to God and have faith to God. And they were not going to go against the oath that they had about bringing kids in and then murdering them. That was not going to be, um, any, you know, anything that they were going to do. No, they were going to choose God. And I love that they, their excuse, um, about the, the Hebrew women being more vigorous than the Egyptian women that they didn't get there in time. And although the men were never allowed back in to the labor, it actually made sense. If you think about it, she, they probably weren't really lying because it is a, it is known. And many OBGYNs will tell you if you exercise during pregnancy, it may decrease your labor time, increase your endurance time, and increase the recovery that you have after labor. So exercise during um, pregnancy is extremely important. Well, we see, um, you know, five verses above that they endured hard labor, you know, and maybe the pregnant women got a little bit uh, less than the non-pregnant women and the men, but they definitely worked. They, they definitely exercised and they were definitely ready and prepared for the endurance that it would take to, uh, have a baby. So that wouldn't have been actually too far fetched to say, yeah, we just didn't get there in time because it just went faster and they would have a valid explanation for that. But, um, 
But they did deliberately disobey the Pharaoh's orders, as we see. They did get there in time. They were there for the whole birth, and they just didn't kill the babies. So um, Pharaoh had to go about it another way. And yet again, God created this other space for them. So kind of taking into um, and looking at their story, I started this whole time I was reminded about the butterfly effect. So this was a, this was a movie that is actually based on this chaos theory that says dependence on initial conditions in which a small change is on one state is deterministic of a larger difference in a later state, meaning that one small change can impact the future greatly. And as I was reading the story over and over, I just kept thinking like this one small act of obedience and faith in God that these two women had were not only able to save all of those baby boys, but they were able to save the nation of Israel. And they were able to do that because they saved Moses and Moses was going to be the deliverer of the Israelites. And it, it brought me back to JL when we were studying Deborah and how there really are no small roles in the Bible. And these small roles are composed of these huge moments that consist of one faithful act of obedience every single time. It was JL, she had it in the tent. It was just an act of faith. These women, it was an act of faith. Both of them could have been killed and JL could have been caught and killed, but they put their stake in something greater, knowing that they were called at that moment to do exactly what they were supposed to do. And they did. What I also love about this is they in no way, most likely did not know God's plan. They were not designated as prophetess like Deborah. So they didn't know how they were going to be delivered from Egypt or if they were going to be delivered from Egypt. They just knew what was right, what was wrong, and who they loved and who they feared. And that was God. And so they had no idea the impact that they were going to have on the rest of their nation. They probably just felt very small and that their job on earth was a very insignificant one. So my question is, do you feel like you're small. You know, we've talked about the the canvas and, and how, you know, you're all painted for a purpose. And we've talked about these two amazing women, Esther and Deborah, that were called to be great and called to be known and called to be famous and set apart and how I definitely couldn't compete with Deborah's resume. Um, but that doesn't mean that you don't have a, a huge part in God's plan. And it's easy to think that you miss the boat when you're in a kayak. But whether your boat is a cruise ship with huge influence and very large, or a kayak that maybe only sits you and one other person, you matter. Certainly, a kayak cannot do what a cruise ship can, but a cruise ship will never be able to travel where a kayak can go. 
And I guess I just kind of started thinking, and I want to leave you guys with this question is, where are you traveling? Is your influence over many or is it over few? But more importantly, is your influence with the mindset of faithful obedience to our God? There are no small roles. There are no small people. And don't for a second think just because maybe your name isn't going to be mentioned in the Bible as a chapter, that your name isn't important in the whole heavenly aspect of God. God, I just thank you so much for reminding me that we don't have to be a great leader that stands in front of people and will try to gather many for your cause. If leadership is not in our, you know, spiritual gifts and if we shy away from attention, that you still have called us for huge things because huge things definitely happen in small ways. So God, I thank you so much for putting these two women in the Bible and reminding me that you just love us and you love us for a specific uh, purpose and you love us for our obedience and that you are always going to be there and have called us to um, certain things that maybe other people can't do. So God, just let us continue to love on you, grow in you and see Um, those moments and not let them pass us by. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you everybody for joining us today. Um, Next uh, next two weeks, in two weeks, we'll be talking um, about Miriam as a child and how God kind of called her at a young age and what that means for us. And just continue to subscribe to iTunes, um, Stitcher, follow us on Facebook, um, always feel free to email at themodernesterpodcast at gmail.com. Um, tell us what you think or your story. Um, and we just, we love it. We'll probably be putting up a new blog in a week. So be sure to catch that. And we love you guys. Thank you so much. God bless. Thank you.